Uh, some people kind of avoid the Old Testament for different reasons. Uh, maybe they don't understand how applicable it is or how powerful it is uh, for us in our spiritual walk today. And my goal is to help you understand over the next seven, eight, nine weeks as we get into Thanksgiving, what Abraham has to do with us today. Because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of parallels between his life and ours. And I'm, I'm hoping that you really grab that in this first session because Abraham is called out of a, a really interesting situation, a really interesting culture. He's called out as a really old guy to start following the Lord. And he does it. Now, for him, and this is where we're going to start, for him, this transition had to be earth-shattering. Because he came out of a culture that was polytheistic. Do you know what polytheistic is? Mm -hmm. More, than one God. More than one God. So you could choose your own God. There's a couple of religions these days that are polytheistic. The first one that comes to my mind is Hindu. Hindu would be polytheistic. They have about three million gods, actually, that you can choose from. I'm not exaggerating that number. There is different gods that they can choose from that they can follow. That would be a polytheistic uh, 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 religion. This is the kind of religion that Abraham came out of, where you can choose your favorite God and follow that God. Not only that, but in this culture, he didn't have any Bible. He didn't have any Torah. He didn't have any scripture revealed to him by God. He had none of that. In addition, the culture that he lived in was extremely evil. They were self-serving. We're not going to get this right, are we? Is it me? Uh, no. Okay. All right, all right, good, good. It's not you, it's me. I've used that line before a couple of times. If it's anybody, it's me, mister. This is the way God came to Abraham through, sorry, forgive us as we try and figure our way around here. Shall I use a handheld? Or are you going to figure it out? No, just keep going. Okay, keep going, all right. All right. I'm sorry, now this is me. Um, he was not born Abraham, he was born Abram, and God changes his name later on. We'll get across, uh, we'll get to that eventually. A polytheist and a culture that did not know God, no scriptures, and God calls him, God pulls him out of this culture, and he was 75 years old when God pulls him out of this culture. God chose to give Abraham favor, even though there was nothing in Abraham's life that would ever imply that he loved God or followed God at all. In fact, he probably ticked off God in a lot of different ways, in the ways that he lived for 75 years in disobedience to the God who made him. Yet God chose Abram out of this culture and pulled him out by promising him some favorable blessings in his life. This one individual, Abraham, would now become the father of the three greatest religions that has ever walked the globe. Those three religions are Christianity, obviously, Judaism, and Islam. They all track right back to Abraham. Now, Judaism um, and Islam, uh, those are groups of religions and faiths that do not acknowledge Christ as their savior. So Christianity is unique in that it, out of the three, acknowledges Jesus is the Savior of the world. So that's what makes Christianity different from the other three. I mean, there's a lot of other things too, but that is key. That is paramount, all right? Jesus would come through the line of Abraham, and Christianity thus would be born out of that. 
All the way through scripture, Abraham is talked about as a man of faith. And we are first introduced to Abraham through Terah and the people that he knows. Terah is his father, and there are people that he knows that we're going get to get to meet. Now, we're, talking, we're, we're going to be calling this the conversion of Abraham, because I'm not going to approach this like you would typically approach the life of Abraham. What I want to approach it as is I want to talk to you about what it's like to pull somebody out of this weird, changing, um, this, this uh, godless culture and pull him in to become this amazing man of faith. Abraham is talked about all the way through scripture right up until the uh, New Testament, talked about in the New Testament, even in Hebrews, as a man of faith. So I want to talk to you over the next few weeks about what it means for Abraham to give up what he knew and start following this brand new God. The way we're introduced to him is through Terah in Genesis 11, verse 31. Terah is Abraham's father, and here's how it goes. Terah took Abraham his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, and his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldees to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now Terah, Abram's father, was drawn to Canaan and settled actually in Ur. I have a map here that you can see so you can understand kind of, kind of the deal. Um, there's Ur of the Chaldees down there in the bottom and Haran is at the top. And so... Terah was, uh, began this journey uh, long before Abraham was even born. Abraham completed the journey and ended up going all the way to Canaan. God positions Abraham so that he could use him in his life. Um, I think about Abraham and the kind of guy that he was, and I, I think to myself, like, do we ever get to the position where we think we're not able to be used by God because we're in this position of life? You know, we're... we're uh, We've hit this obstacle, we're in this place, we have these people as our parents, you know, whatever you want to choose, but we're, we're, or we have this job, or we have these, these kind of people, all of these different people that rely on us, so God can't possibly use us because we're at this position in life. And yet Abraham is at this unique position in life, not knowing God, not knowing any, uh, anything about God, and God calls him out even when he's 75 years old. It reminds me of this verse in Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So you may not think that you're in a place where God can use you, but you have no idea what God has planned for you. What I want to talk to you about this morning is the kind of attitude that we need to have in order to be used by God, even in the position that we're in right now. You might be in a position where you're thinking, God can't use me because I'm in this position, because I have these responsibilities, because I'm this old, because I, whatever it is. But you have no idea what God can do with your life, even from this position forward. God is never done using us. That's why you're still here. If God was done using you, you'd be done here. So God has a plan for each one of us as he did for Abraham. The hand of God is always working in the background of our lives to bring us to the place where he can actually use us. He has a purpose for every single one of us. The reoccurring flow of the human nature is to try and figure out this answer of what could my life be? The fact of the matter is, you don't have to worry about what can make your life count. Because if you know Jesus as your Savior, he already has a plan for you. Wherever you're at in life, right now, even sitting in your seat right now, he has a plan for you from this point forward. God has a plan for you. Oprah did an episode 
on one of her shows. You get a car, you get a car. She did an episode on one of her shows and it was called, what was it called? Let me make sure I get this right. It was called, What is Your Purpose in Life? And on this uh, specific episode, uh, you know how the commercial, you, you, you'd build up like, okay, here's what's coming up next. The news does this all the time. Like, who burned Sally at the fair? Stay tuned and you'll find out, you know? Um, so she did this through the whole thing. She said, we're gonna find out what your purpose is in life. And every time it would come back and it would show Oprah, she would always say, she would always be interviewing somebody or talking about how important life is and all this, and she would build it up and she would go, now stay tuned after the commercial, because we're gonna talk about what is your purpose in life. And then the commercial would be over and you'd sit there and you'd go, okay, what is my purpose in life? And she'd build it up again. She'd talk to somebody and she'd say, how, did you find your purpose in life? No, I didn't. And, and she'd, she'd just build it up and she'd go, now stay tuned, because at the very next, at next session, we're gonna find out what is your purpose in life. She did this the whole way through the episode. It came to the final segment. Everybody's waiting to find out what their purpose is in life. And she says, after the entire hour was over, she looks at the camera, she shrugs and says, well, the purpose of life, you've got to figure that out for yourself. Look within. People have been living in this existential ontological loop since the beginning of time. Why am I here? Why, why, does, a, why does my existence matter or does my existence even matter and you know one of the worst ways to figure out why you're here is to go to social media i'm sorry i'm going to just take a little soapbox step here and talk about social media because i got to tell you about my facebook problem my facebook problem is this i get on facebook for all the right reasons i want to find out what my friends are doing i want to find out who's sick who's in the hospital i want to find out who's visiting what country how i can pray for them i get on for all the right reasons and then i scroll and I scroll, and I find out how much better a dad this guy is, and how much better a husband this guy is, and how exciting life this guy has, and I'm thinking to myself, what in the, and I always get off with the same attitude. I get on with all the right attitude, all the right reasons, but I get off always the same way. You know how I feel when I get off? Terrible. Yeah, terrible. My life stinks, I'm not doing anything. I'm just wasting my life away. I should be more like these people. You know why? Because what we do is we compare our purpose in life to what we read that is not true online. Now they might just be, like we went to Korea this summer. I probably made 25 people feel terrible because they're thinking, I've never been to Korea. And, but that's not my purpose. My purpose is to show people, you know, this is how the Lord used us over there. But, the, but for, for people that live and die off Facebook or any other social media platform, you're looking through that, you're going to feel terrible about yourself by the time you're finished looking through. Do, let me ask this question. How many of you feel really, really good about your own life when you get off Facebook scrolling? Anybody? No. <laughs> Nobody does. Well, you guys are probably going, Craig, we're not on Facebook. Facebook is from the devil, Craig. You should give it up. <laughs> and you're probably right. <laughs> I wasn't on there looking for Russians. I was just on there looking to find out what was going Anyway, if you're going to find out why your life matters, you've got to begin at the right place. And where I'd suggest to begin is your life is not by mistake. Amen. You are not here by some chance of... Of, uh, uh, of the stars aligning and then all of a sudden, ba-boom, you were born. Nobody is here by mistake. God has a purpose for you to be... Is that... I, oh, it came out. Here you go. 
That's good. Was it, was it me the whole time? If it's anyone, it's me. <laughs> so, sorry about that. I'm new at this whole thing, so please forgive me. <laughs> you are not here by mistake. That is the best news you probably would... L I can't even imagine if I never heard that news before. But hear it here, and maybe for the first time, and maybe for the hundredth time. But please hear it. You are not here by mistake. If you are here, God has a reason for you to be here. And if you're still here, God still has a reason for you to be here. And God has a purpose for our lives that matters far beyond what you could post in Facebook or what you could feel bad about reading somebody else's life is doing on Facebook. Uh, the place you want to start is intentionally begin, be, becoming available for the one who has you here on purpose. All right? And that's the connection. If God has you here for a purpose... The place you can begin is by being available to him. Because if he has you here on purpose, you better find out what that is. That means my purpose in life is not about me finding it, it's about my, me finding out what God's purpose is for me. You see the difference? God may just have an incredible revelation for your life right around the corner. And that's a point. God determines potential, we respond in obedience. God determines potential, we, just, we respond in obedience. This is the story of Abraham. Which brings us to the first point, and the first, very first question, and that is, will I follow? Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. This is the story of Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Notice in here how many times the phrases are used about what God will do versus about what Abraham will do. Now this is key. How many times is it about what God will do, and how many times is it about what Abraham will do? It's interesting, isn't it? Read it. The land that I will show you. God has a place for him. I, God, will make of him a great nation. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. This, by the way, is in tremendous contrast to Ham, who we just read about in the previous chapter, who was with a group of people building the Tower of Babel because they wanted to make a name for themselves. They were into technology so that they could make a name for themselves so the world could know that they were here. The next chapter we have God saying to Abram, a guy from a completely godless culture, if you follow me, I will make your name great. I will give you a place to go. I will make of you a great nation. And suddenly it's all about what God will do, not what we will do for ourselves. And the outcome of all of this, so that what? What is the outcome? If God does all of this for us, what is the outcome? Just read it up there. So that you will be a blessing. Now, wouldn't you love for people to mourn your passing by saying, you know what? This person was just a really great blessing. Wouldn't be something? God will do all of these things for Abram. Why? So that he can become a blessing. A blessing to others. He goes on in verse 3. I will bless those, as God speaking, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the nations, families of the earth, shall be blessed. 
Listen to the language again. God says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who dishonor you. God is going to protect Abraham in some significantly unique ways. Wherever Abraham goes, he's going to be blessed by God personally, and anyone who comes against Abraham, they are going to be cursed by God personally. How would you like for God to do that for you? Well, he does. This is not a unique situation. I mean, Abram turns out to be the father of nations, absolutely. But the promise to us is exactly the same. When we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we receive a brand new name. Old things are passed away, all things become new. And as we live in Christ, we become a blessing to others. That's why we're still here. That's why this church exists. The outcome of being used by God is that for Abram and for us, the families of the earth will be blessed in us. Now let's talk about how Abram followed God. How did this happen? Abram had to trust God's plan. God told him to leave his country, leave his people, leave his father's house, leave them all behind. He works from the outer circle inward. He says, leave your country, that's the biggest circle, leave your people, that's his tribe, leave your father's house, that's his own family. From the outside to the inside, God literally says, leave everything behind. And if you read this in the Hebrew, it actually says, go by yourself. Abram was told to trust God's plan. Go by yourself. Number two, God did not give Abraham a revealed destination. He didn't know where he was going. Sometimes in our lives, don't we, wouldn't we just like to say, or say to God, we, we, maybe we have. Why is this happening in my life? Write something in the sky so I know why this is happening in my life. Wouldn't you like to know that? Or I've lost my job, I don't have any hope for a future, everything's trash. Why are you doing this to me, God? Wouldn't you, you go outside and you wait for, the, for it to be written in the scribe, in this clouds. I am doing this for this reason. But God doesn't work that way. God does not give us a revealed destination just like he doesn't give one to Abram. He just says, here's what I want you to do. Continue trusting me. Or for Abram, in his case, learn for the very first time. Trust me. Head out. I've got a place for you and you've got to trust me. It's better than where you're at now. And that's hard for us, right? Because where we're at now is comfortable. But where we might go tomorrow, if we don't know where that is, uncomfortable. Number three, Abram's trust would be his very first act of faith. This is what Abram is commended in Scripture for. Hebrews 11, verse 8 says this, By faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham obeyed not knowing where he was going. The reader is meant to marvel that this man would leave so much behind with little promise of return. Abram didn't know what he was going to get back. God said go, and Abraham went. Tough, right? Not only that, Abraham didn't let any issue distract him. How old was Abraham at this time? 75. 75. His age could have very well been a distraction. If you're 75 and I come up to you and I say, Mark, I want you to consider being a missionary in the foreign field. You should really think about going to Zimbabwe. There's an opening there. I know you're 75, but you're, you're spry. And uh, so, so I think you should pray about it. Spry, yeah. How many of us would, considering, would consider this kind of a move at 75 years old? And yet Abraham follows God. His age could have been a distraction. There's a lot of other things could have been a distraction. He was rich. 
Did you know that? Abraham had cash. He had the bling. And he had to give it up in order to go. Or at least with no promise of continued income. God says go. Lots of stuff could have been a distraction. So here's some pointers I have for us. Here you go. God normally asks us to do things that will make us, what church? Absolutely. If you're thinking to yourself, life is hard right now, what's God doing? My guess is something. Because God always asks us to do things normally that are uncomfortable. Number two, God usually does not give us all the information of what lies ahead of us. Why is this happening to me? Usually, you have no idea. You can take an uh, educated guess, but usually, he does not tell you. And that is on purpose. You can go to a soothsayer, you can go to a, a palm reader and try and get your, your, your end figured out. You know, or go to the horoscopes and try and figure it out. God doesn't tell you on purpose. And the reason he doesn't tell you is because he wants you to live by faith, not by sight. Trust him. Number three, God sometimes requires that we leave comforts behind. That's a tough one, right? When God asks us to walk by faith, sometimes you have to leave your comforts behind. Number four, whatever God has for us is always better than what we think is reasonable for us. It's always better than what we have now. Even though it's scary, even though it's uncomfortable, even though it's unsure, even though you don't know the future, why you're doing it, even though you don't know any of that, whatever it is, is always better than where you're at right now. Number five, God constantly requires us to do things because it makes us more confident in him. In other words, we grow. Our character grows, our faith grows, our impact grows, our potential grows. Look at our church. This is a hard thing. So we're a year and a half old now. How, is your life better because of this church? My guess is probably so. And if you hadn't taken the step of faith to be part of a startup church, my guess is you would never know what the potential of your gifts and your abilities and your, your, in, your blessing could be on somebody else. Because I want to tell you, this is, this is like my favorite time of the week to be together with all of you. Mostly because I'm a selfish person. And here's why. Because every time I get with you, I get blessed. Hopefully it's the other way around as well. Maybe it isn't, but <laughs> you guys keep coming because I will swallow up your blessings, all right? <coughs> what matters most is not how it feels. It's going where God says to go, all right? Remember the I wills versus the you wills. God does the work. We are just obedient. Is it safer to stay where you are? Maybe. Is it more comfortable to stay where you are? Maybe. But where would we be if Abraham had not gone? Uh-huh. Where would we be if Abraham had not obeyed God and went on these terms to follow God? We wouldn't be here. Where would you be had not the people in your life that walked by faith, took steps of faith, obedient steps of faith? Where would you be if they hadn't have done that? Your mom, your dad, whoever led you to the Lord, whoever went out of the way to share Christ with you. Where would you be if they hadn't have done that? When Beth and I got together, one of the hardest points in our lives was when I had to tell Beth the three words that every man dreads to say for the very first time. You know what those three words are? I love you, right? Why are we so, <coughs> why are we so scared to say that? 
because we may not get the return I love you, right? And as Seinfeld would say, that's a big matzo ball hanging out there. <laughs> you know Seinfeld? George, George says, I love you. Seinfeld says, well, have you never said those three words? I said them to my dog once, so he was contemplating saying to his girlfriend. When I said that to Beth, I can still remember, I don't remember the occasion or any of that, but I can still remember the fear because I thought, I'm going to tell her I love her, and if I tell her I love her, I may not get it back because look at Beth and look at me. Aha, uh -huh, right? <laughs> and I said those words, and I actually don't even remember if you said them back to me at the time. I, 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 can hold, I think that you probably did, which is why we have four kids today, but maybe, uh, maybe we didn't. I don't remember. But saying those words was tough. It was a, it's a tough step. It's a step of faith. Everything hard in life comes because we take a step of faith. We, we, go, we step into the unknown. You, if you know Christ as your Savior, it's because somebody stepped out in faith and told you about Jesus. Everything good in life happens like that. And that's the case for Abram as well. And so that takes me to our second point, and that is following God is rarely easy. Believing God is, is uh, this way, in this way is the beginning of our journey with him. It was for Abram. Romans 4, verse 1 says this, What shall we say then was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? And here it is. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Do you know what that means? We talked about this. Justification is being righteous. When did Abraham become righteous before God? In his 75 years of life in Ur? Nope. When he was growing up with Terah, his father? Nope. No acts of righteousness. In those cases, all his righteousness was as filthy rags. The Bible says in this verse, in Romans 4, verse 1 to verse 3, it says, Abraham was right with God when he, when he believed and when he obeyed. He believed God, and he followed up on, those, on that belief. This is when he walks out of Ur Chaldees, not knowing where he's going, but believing that wherever he was going was better than where he is now. Now, three snares. Three snares. I'm going to go over these as quickly as I can. The first snare. Because whenever you choose to walk by faith, you are going to get snares. You don't, do you know what snares are? Is that a good word? It's like what you put up for, my brother and I used to hunt rabbits with homemade bows and arrows. Not a chance of ever hitting a rabbit. But we would go out and we'd try and get these rabbits and we figured out that wasn't working so we put up snares. These little, these little traps that, the, that would catch the rabbits, right? Those are snares. And the rabbits shouldn't be able to see them but we were using like this, this, you know, this huge rope and we didn't know what we were doing. But the snares that the devil will use are easily hit. He will deceive he will tempt. He will go at your weak points. And these are all snares to stop your walk of faith. To stop you believing that God is something better for you. Genesis 12, verse 4. So Abram went. Here's his first snare. See if you can find it. So Abraham went, or Abram went, as the Lord had told him. Yay, we all cheer. Way to go, Abram. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from, Hab uh, from, uh, from Haran. Did Abram disobey by taking Lot? We're not told specifically, but we can derive some things. What was he told to leave behind? His country, his clan, his father's house. Lot went with him. Why did Lot go with him? Why do you think Abram would have taken Lot? Yeah. 
He's going to travel into unknown territory. He's going to go into a land that's filled with Canaanites, and these are not nice people. He's going to go, and he's going to meet a lot of people that want to kill him, want to do worse things to him than kill him, believe it or not. Right? People who want to make his life miserable, rob him and stuff like that. Why would you want to take you know, a good, sturdy young man with you? Protection? Security blanket? He wants to take somebody he knows? I don't know. But he takes Lot with him. That's the point. And I want you to know this. Every time Lot shows up, Abram is trying to fix a problem Lot created. Every time. The writer goes out of his way to show us that Lot went with him. Again, in verse 5, Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, his nephew, and all their possessions they had gathered, and all the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Lot demonstrated a snare for Abram. I don't know if he needed extra income, because Lot would provide extra income for him. It's better two people working for your survival than one. Uh, uh, just company for him, comfortability, a security blanket, muscle, whatever it is, he takes Lot with him. But God had asked him to trust him and leave all this behind. The point is, when God asked him to trust him, he asked for complete abandonment of all the things that he had known from his past. And again, it doesn't mean that any of these things are bad. It doesn't mean that relationships are bad. It does mean that if they get in the way of your trust of God, they become a snare. They'll mess you up. When I counsel people, <laughs> one of the most aggravating things is I'll counsel people and I'll say, now here's what it says in God's word and this is what I would suggest to you and, here's, here, and I'd be willing to work with you and let's talk through it and figure out what the best, best way that you can handle this problem is. And I'll counsel with them and I'll counsel. Sometimes it'll go on for weeks, sometimes even months and we'll counsel and counsel. And then that person goes away from me and goes to a friend that they grew up with. And they go to them who does not love God, who does not have their same values, who does not follow the Lord in obedience, and they'll go to them and they'll say, here's what Craig says to me, what do you think? And their friend will say something completely different. And they'll say, because they know their friend, they'll say, well, that sounds reasonable, I think I'll do that. And it sounds a lot easier, a lot more comfortable, a lot more uh, acceptable. Yeah, not that my counsel is always perfect, but I'm trying to use my counsel from God's word. And these people are going to something that's comfortable, some, something that they know. And too often that becomes a snare. It makes it so much more difficult to trust God when you get comfortable worldly counsel from those who do not live by faith. So I would tell you, Lot demonstrates more than anything else, relationships. <coughs> Your walk with Jesus Christ has to be one where you trust him implicitly. And you may be real comfortable with your friends, Real comfortable with those people you've grown up with for 75 years that have always given you great counsel. But if you're walking with Jesus Christ, his counsel is definitely going to be different than the world's. It is in stark contrast to the way the world thinks. The world will give you counsel that typically is run, abandon, flee. Why? Because you deserve it. <laughs> Jesus gives harder counsel. His counsel is typically go to a person, ask for forgiveness, humble yourself, walk right before God. Always in stark contrast. Abram took Lot with him, and Lot became a noose around Abram's neck his entire life. Second snare. Canaanites. 
<clears throat> the people of the land. Verse 6. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, Canaanites were in the land. Abram would encounter obstacles as he's going to where God was taking him. And those obstacles were Canaanites, the people who already lived there. These were hedonists. They were set in their ways. You know what hedonists is, always seeking self-pleasure above all other things. Idol worshipers. <coughs> they would always, <coughs> excuse me, they would always be a snare to Abraham because they would get him to try and abandon the hard journey with God in order for the ease of the land, the ease of what the land would provide. And it would always be tempting. You know how I know this? I'm not just making it up. Because when Lot saw the ease of the land, what did Lot do? He picked it and he stayed. You know what those, the, the, the town that he decided to stay in? Towns that were beside one another, there's two different towns, and they were exactly the same. You know what the names of the towns were? Sodom and Gomorrah. He looked over and he saw the plains, and they were fertile, and they were beautiful, and it seemed like a wonderful place to grow up a family and get an income. And so he settled in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. The only problem is, do you know the wickedest areas in Canaan at the time? Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose ease over his walk with God. And so God reigns judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. You know the story. And Lot lost everything. He's lost his wife. He lost his income. His daughters. He lost his daughters. He lost everything. Why? Because he chose the ease of the land. Canaanites represent the ease that this world offers us over the pain and challenges of following God in faith. The world will always tell us the easiest thing to do is conform. Conform, conform. It's easier. It's more comfortable. It's the sure thing. John warns us about this in 1 John 2. By the way, John walked with Jesus Christ himself and got a lot of this from Jesus' own teachings in, John, in the Gospel of John 16, 17. Here's what he writes in his, in his uh, letter. In 1 John 2.15, do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is what, church? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The things that the world offers us constantly drive our hearts away from God. The pull of the culture is against the truth of God. The love of money is against the love of God. The suffering of sin is in contrast to the faith that gives us hope. And the drive to accept all faiths in our culture today is at the expense of giving up the person of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that last one? The drive of this culture to accept all religions as the same asks us to sacrifice the importance of Jesus Christ. If you believe that there's a lot of different roads to heaven, you don't need Jesus. Because Jesus himself says there's only one way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. The culture will always try and get you to doubt and, and, and uh, surrender what you know you should be living and believing in faith. And the third snare is the famine. 
Abram gets to this brand new place thinking to himself, a land flowing with milk and honey, I'll go there. Sure, who wouldn't? It's like an uh, evangelist that stands up at the front and says, you follow Jesus, you'll have every desire of your heart. By the way, the road to hell, at the very first part of the road to hell, the ones first at the gates to hell will be not politicians, though close behind. Lawyers, Lawyers will be close behind that. The very first ones will be people who use Jesus to get your money. Jesus never promises you life of ease, good grief. He promises you something completely different. He said, if the world hates you, what are you worried about? They hated me first, they're going to hate you too. He says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. You've got to be willing to give it up to follow me. God never promises you health and security and, ho- and, and all of that. So he promises you hope, but he never promises you a new house, new car. You get a car, you get a car, you get That's not Jesus. That's somebody trying to use Jesus to make a living. You want to stay away from that. Third snare was famine. He wasn't expecting it. Genesis 12, verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe. Abraham's first obstacle was survival. So he gives up the land that God promises him, and he goes down to Egypt. Abraham expected blessings right away, but he found only famine. And people who come to Jesus Christ thinking to themselves, life is going to get a whole lot better, and it doesn't physically for them, Abandon the faith a lot of times. And that's unfortunate because they got sold a a bad bag of goods. Listen, you don't need a lot. You don't need a lot to please God. Faith is described as a mustard seed for a reason. You don't need a lot of faith to please God. Do you know how small a mustard seed is? It's like a little thing of pepper. You know, your pepper shaker? It's not much bigger than that. Small little mustard seed. You don't need a lot of it. That's why faith is described as a mustard seed. You don't need a lot of it to please God. But this also is true. You don't realize the extent of it until it grows for a while. You never know what that little mustard seed is going to turn out to be until you wait for it to grow after a little while. A seed needs time to grow. And so does God's plans for our lives. You may not know what they are right now. You may be going through a little bit of turmoil right now. You may be going through pain and suffering right now. But if you stay faithful to God, you have no idea what he has for you right around the corner. Jesus warns us about people who abandon God before their fruit grows. He says, as for what was sown among the thorns. This is Jesus talking. This is the one who hears hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word. And it proves unfaithful. People come to to Jesus and they want to start walking by faith and they end up abandoning it because the cares of this world choke out their faith. They think to themselves, good things are coming and they hit a patch of famine and they abandon it. And Jesus warns us about this. These are his own words in Matthew 13, verse 22. And he says, if you're following me and you run into challenges, don't be surprised. That's a typical life of faith. Remain faithful. I remember the first time I planted a garden. I love planting gardens. I hate waiting for the stuff to grow. It takes forever. So you plant this thing, and I bring the kids out, and we all plant the stuff, and woo, it's wonderful. We put the little seeds in, and we put the little, little patch things down because you can't see anything yet, but you need the little, little stickers there so you know what's going to come up, and you believe it's going to come up, and you 
hope it's going to come up, but then the first week passes, nothing. Second week passes, nothing. Third week passes, nothing. You're thinking to yourself, did I use enough miracle grow? Did I, am I watering this thing enough? Is it because we live in Illinois and the ground stinks? What is it that's not making this stuff grow? Anyway, the fourth week and the fifth week, and finally months pass by, and, and, but you get, you get a little sprout along the way, and you're thinking, woo, you celebrate the sprout, and then you've got to wait for the fruit, and that takes forever, right? And then finally, three months later, you don't get one tomato, you get 5,000 tomatoes. And then you're going to all your friends, you're saying, want some tomatoes, you want some tomatoes, you want some tomatoes, I got too many of them. Why do you get too many of them? Because I thought, something's not going to come up, but it comes up. It comes up, and the fruit grows. That's like faith. If you're looking at your faith and you're thinking to yourself, I should be more like Craig, I should be, have faith like this. I want you to know that Craig looks at other people and says, I should be more like them. Our faith always can grow. Don't get impatient with what God is doing. He is doing something great with your life or you wouldn't still be here. And you may question him why this is happening or why you're going through this dry patch or why you're going through this famine. Believe that there's fruit to come. And just keep obeying. Water the plant. Put more miracle grew on, on if you want. Whatever you need to do to make that thing grow, do it. Come to church. Read your Bible. Pray. Spend time with the Lord. Teach your kids. Teach others. Speak out for Jesus. But live out your faith because you have no idea what's going to happen right around the corner tomorrow. Abram didn't. He went to Canaan thinking it's going to be Milk and, what is it? Milk and honey, right? Nothing but famine. Who knows? There might be a tomato right around your corner. Only God can make a name great. Only God can make a name great. God promises Abram to be the father of nations. And God can make your name great too. You may never have your name up in lights. I went to the UN because I rode the coattails of somebody else. I drop it because it makes me feel important about myself. You know, I went to the United Nations. Have you ever been there? <laughs> you know, that's the closest I ever get to bragging about important stuff that I do. But the fact of the matter, if, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, whatever you're doing for him is incredibly important to him. Don't give it up. God has given you a gift. He has given you talents. He has left you here because he's got something he needs you to do. And when you do it, it may not be like standing up at the UN and giving a speech. But it will be incredibly important to the one who loves you enough to die for you. God has something for every single one of us. You may not know it now, but keep being obedient. God will make a name for you. You don't have to do it for yourself. And, number two, God will make you a blessing. Just like with Abraham. If you live by faith like this, God will make you a blessing. You know the word bless occurs five times in verses 2 and 3. It occurs 88 times in the book of Genesis, and it occurs 310 times in the rest of the Old Testament. God is concerned about blessing, being a blessing, and being a blessing to you. You being a blessing to others, and him being a blessing to you. God is interested in making your life count in being a blessing to others. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. And that's why I love this verse. Even though it's in the Old Testament, I love using it. I know it's written to Israel, but it applies to us. Jeremiah 29, 11. You know this verse? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you, you know, read it, church, to give you a future and a hope. 
That is a promise to Israel directly in Jeremiah, but it's a promise to you. Why? Because you are a part of God's family just like they were. And this is how a dad thinks. God has a plan for us to bless us and help us be a blessing to others. Now, please understand the clearest blessing of all is that God is with us through thick and thin. You know that, right? You, you may not have the nicest house. You may not have the nicest car. You may not have the nicest situation in life right now. Your bank account may be dirt dry. But the greatest blessing you have in life, if you know Jesus as your Savior, is that you have the presence of God with you always. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, and He is running your life. Would you like to run it or would you rather He runs it? I'd rather he runs it because he's already in tomorrow and I don't know what tomorrow holds. Let's let him do it. You will be a blessing. Your name will be a blessing. Those who bless you will be blessed themselves and all peoples will be blessed through you. The modern science, modern secular people called what luck or success is, the modern secular people call, God calls a blessing for it insists that God alone is the source of all good fortune. So, church, only you can decide to be faithful God already is. God doesn't just have faithfulness. God is faithful. Just like God doesn't have love to give, God is the definition of love. God is love. God isn't just familiar with holiness. God is holy. And God is not just familiar with being faithful to people. God is faithful. In fact, he is the definition of it. And if you decide to follow Jesus with your life, you will begin following a God that never will forsake you, never will let you down, never will leave you, always will love you, always will forgive you, always will give you a better tomorrow than you've had today, always will give you a future and a hope, and if life finally takes you out, will give you heaven, a life with him for all eternity. That's pretty good, wouldn't you say? Yeah, me too. Abram did demonstrate this life of faith. He went to the hill country on the east of Bethel, pitched his tent. Bethel was on the west, Ai's on the east. And what he does is he completes, he continues to build altars to the Lord all the way through the land. Abraham kept, stayed the course. Even though he didn't see the promise yet, he stayed faithful. He's waiting for the fruit to grow. Waiting for the little sprouts to come up. Any walk of faith begins by believing God is something better for you than you could do on your own. All right? That's bottom line. Any walk of faith begins by believing God is something better for you than you could do on your own. Keep trusting. Keep obeying. And stay faithful. Yes? Let's pray. I'm grateful, Father, that we can learn from Abraham. Uh, even... Even 5,000 years later, even despite his, his failures, which we're going to look at, even they only remind us that he's human. And it helps us understand that if you can use somebody like that, living in a, a godless culture for 75 years, who fails you consistently, making bad decisions, even taking a lot with them, but you remain faithful to him, how much more will you remain faithful to us? 
Thank you that you are the definition of faithfulness, and thank you that we can learn to be faithful because you give us that ability yourself. I pray, Father, that I have spoken this morning clearly in a way that has been received and that this group of people would dedicate themselves as well as me, that together we would dedicate ourselves to being people who live by faith, believing that what you have for us is better than what we have for ourselves. Thank you for all the promises and the hope and the joy and everything you give to us. Thank you for Jesus Christ, that he demonstrated life and what it was supposed to be like. Thank you that you love us even though we drop the ball so many times and that you forgive us and that your mercies are new every morning. Help us to live in the light of that truth <coughs> and to be the kind of people that would be des described as faithful people. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.